0: In 2015, uh, my wife Lindsay and I were on the verge of a new and exciting and frightening chapter of our lives. I had served as a worship pastor in my hometown, in our hometown for nearly 10 years, but God was making clear to us that it was time to step out of our familiar world, of family and friends, and to step into a church planting residency in the city of Columbus. Uh, The decision carried with it an array of emotions and an uncertainty that we had never experienced, but we knew God was leading, and so we jumped in. We actually rather quickly fell in love with a house that was for sale on the west side of Columbus. It was smaller, but we could make it work. It was uh, in a rough neighborhood, but the street seemed safe enough. It fit our budget. It was charming, and that house kind of gave us a sense of of sturdiness in an unsturdy chapter of life. We had something to look at and something to kind of aim for. We loved it. We made an offer on the house and got in a contract. But as we waded through the real estate process, I began to experience a storm cloud of hesitation that resulted in numerous arguments between Lindsay and me I wasn't afraid to move there I I wanted to move there in fact I really loved that house but something and maybe you've experienced this you've certainly in some way experienced this something beyond my understanding wasn't sitting right and so one day Lindsay finally looked at me and said I don't want to embarrass you but it was wonderful he said Chris You know where I stand on this. You know that I want to purchase this house. But I know that you love me and that you want what's best for our family. And I also know that you will answer to God on matters such as this. So go for a long prayer walk and sort this out with him. And whatever decision you come to, I'll follow. We didn't buy that house. This morning, we conclude our summer orientation series by looking at a final particular that gives shape to Oaks Church, complementarianism. Complementarianism is the biblical conviction that God, with great wisdom and intentionality, has assigned to men and to women unique roles that differ from one another and yet complement each other when we properly embrace these important and equally dignified roles, we reflect God's image the way he intended us to in our homes and in this church and in God's world. The reason I share that personal story of Lindsay and me is not, hear this, is not to give the illusion that we've got everything together. Even today on our 15th wedding anniversary, We are, yeah, (laughs) we are still learning how to dance the dance of complementarianism, and it is not always easy. I fail all the time, and yet it is beautiful. It's beautiful. So we haven't arrived, and I shared that personal story for reasons we'll see later on in this message, Lord willing. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Chapter two, verses 18 through 25. Almost all opponents of uh, complementarianism insist that complementarianism springs from a wrong interpretation of many New Testament passages. Now they are not only incorrect about that assertion, but they also fail to acknowledge that the complementary roles of men and women, married and single, were established by God at the beginning of creation. Before sin was even in the picture, God said this, this is good right here. And so that's why we need to start at the beginning. And so I'd invite you to follow along as I read Genesis chapter two, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Wise creator God, we plead with you that you would remind us of and revive us for the unique and dignified roles that you have intentionally assigned to us as men and as women. We ask that you would do this for your glory and our joy in Jesus name, amen. In verse 18, the Lord God says, it's not good that the man should be alone. Uh, The man left to himself was lacking some things. He lacked the ability to exercise dominion over creation on his own. And he lacked the ability to more completely reflect God's image. He reflected an important part of God's image, but an equally important part was missing. And so in verses 21 and 22, the Lord God puts the man to sleep. And from the man, he brings forth the woman to be a suitable helper for the man. In the Hebrew language, the word helper means one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking. When the man wakes up in verse 23, he delights in God's provision this right here he sings you can imagine him singing this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and this wonderful gift shall be called woman finally in the last two verses that we read a few moments ago in verses 24 and 25 we see that the union of this one man and this one woman is God's institution of marriage. He is instituting the gift, the blessed gift of marriage, in the union of this one man and woman. All right. So, in this passage, we begin to understand that God has a plan for how men and women are to uniquely reflect His image. He has brought forth the woman to supply additional strength to the man as a suitable helper. And now, in order to more clearly understand the man's God given role, look with me in the passage just immediately preceding ours. Look with me at chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. Before God had made the woman, God told the man that he was free to eat from all but one of the trees of the garden. Clearly, God's expectation was that the man would relay this information to the woman, which he does do. Because in chapter 3, the woman knows that she's not to eat from the forbidden tree. But we need to see what else happens in chapter 3. Because it shines an important light on the role that God has assigned to men. In verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, a serpent who is animated by the spirit of Satan, slithers up to the woman and entices her to eat from the forbidden tree. The woman eats first. The man eats second. But see with me that when God comes to hold them to account for their high treason, he summons the man first. The woman's role is to supply strength in the area that is lacking as a loving helper. But the man's role is to sacrificially protect and provide as a loving leader. God summons the man first in the same way that a restaurant owner summons the shift supervisor when an issue emerges among the employees. The man's role is to sacrificially protect and provide as a loving leader, all of which he failed to do by the third chapter of scripture. He had neglected to put himself between the woman and the serpent to protect her from temptation. He had passively watched her eat the forbidden fruit. He had sinfully eaten the fruit himself And then, when God calls him to account in chapter 3, verse 12, the man blame shifts the whole crime onto the woman. It was her fault. I'm not responsible. She should be punished. Now, this is as good a time as any to address the men in this room. Brothers, when we fail to embrace our role as sacrificial leader, protector, and provider, the result is passivity and idolatry and abuse. And this is a big part of the reason why the world at large despises gender roles. Why so many churches today are bending God's word to explain away the multitude of clear scriptures that insist on God glorifying joyful gender roles. Truth is, men often suck at being men. There's no better way to put it. And that's a big reason why complementarianism is so opposed today. But it's not the only reason. Now, ladies, look with me at chapter 3, verse 16. After sin enters the world, God makes clear to the woman what is made clear again and again in Scripture. The man is still called to his role as sacrificial leader. And she, to her role as suitable helper. But... One of the side effects of sin that the woman is going to experience is that she's going to lose sight of the importance of her own role. She's going to be convinced that the grass is greener on the other side. She's not going to want to supply strength to the leader's lack. Instead, she's going to regard the man as an obstacle who stands in the way of her quest for leadership. This is another reason why complementarianism is so opposed today. And we've all been discipled into this worldview, not just in our own sinful propensities, but 25 years ago, I remember being, I was in middle school watching TV and we had like one channel that we got with like the bunny ear thing and and it was great. And and this Gatorade commercial came on. This Gatorade, they produced a 30 second commercial featuring Michael Jordan. And the female Olympic soccer player, Mia Hamm, throughout the commercial, they war against each other in a number of sports. And in the background, you can hear somebody singing, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. The commercial actually ends with a woman singing, I can do everything better than you, as Mia Hamm body slams a defeated Michael Jordan onto a judo mat, right? Just a commercial, right? Many of us have been discipled by this worldview all our lives. In fact, parents of young kids, I can't even think of a Disney movie in the last 20 years that hasn't depicted this symptom of sin as a virtue, Our kids are being discipled. And the disdain that the world has for our God-given gender roles has been slowly eroding the churches who once cherished them. But Lord willing, not at Oaks, not on our watch, not for one second, because the gospel The gospel not only reminds us of the distinct roles we've been called to, the gospel remakes us so that we can joyfully embrace them. In the same way that Christ lived, hear this, in the same way that Christ lived a submissive life to the Father, And in the same way that Christ died a sacrificial death to save us, so we, men and women, have been remade to do the same to and with one another. For the remaining moments we have, let's consider what complementarianism can look like in our homes and in this church. And I'll start with the men. If you are married, complementarianism isn't limited to married folk. We'll get to that. But men, if you are married, Ephesians five twenty-five through thirty-two conveys that you are to love your wife in the same way that Christ loved the church and died for her. Sit in that with me for a moment. In the same way that Christ loved the church and died for her, so we are to love our wives if we are married. You are to love your wife as much as you love yourself because she has been enjoined with you. This is Paul's logic in Ephesians 5. When you mistreat her, and I'm saying the same thing to myself, but brother, when you mistreat her, you not only mistreat yourself, you dishonor your God whom she reflects. Joe Rigney is an author and a pastor In the Treasuring Christ Together network that we are prayerfully considering as a church. And Joe Rigney writes this. Too many men think that headship means making demands and getting their way while they ride around on a horse. But sacrificial leadership doesn't give us the right to lord authority. It gives us the right to die first. When there's a danger to be faced, oh godly man, you must face it first. When there's a burden to be borne, oh godly man, you must bear it first. When there's pain and hardship, oh godly man, make sure that it falls into your lap before it ever falls upon those in your care. After a hard day's work, O godly man, enter your home not with a list of demands, but with an eagerness to give. Relieve the burdens of your wife. Don't add to them. Don't send your children to their rooms so you can put your feet up. Play with them, pray with them, and preach the word to them. O godly man, you are here to lead in sacrificial service because even the Son of Man came not to serve but to... not. Wow, I was in a role and then I just totally botched it. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a sacrifice. Brothers, starting with me, we need to be grieved by our passivity and our idolatry and any hint of abusiveness. We need to be grieved by that. We need to repent for that. And we need to make war against our fallen flesh and our tendencies. We have a very important job to do. Women, if you are married, Ephesians five twenty two through 24 conveys that you are to submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife, Paul writes, even as Christ is the head of the church, As the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands. In the home, you can and must pray for your husband. Bolster your husband with your strength. Dream with your husband. Weigh decisions with your husband. And there are going to be times when you don't fully agree, such as on the purchase of a home or something or not, or getting out of contract but even then follow his lead prayerfully understanding this and you can even encourage your husband and he will give an account to God in the same way that Adam did in the garden he will give an account you needn't fear you are not a doormat You are an equally dignified reflector of God's image, women, and your strength and wisdom and knowledge and gentleness and ability has made you an irreplaceable dance partner. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Our roles in the church really are are an extension of our roles in the home. I'll start this way. I don't have much left here. In the church, there are two offices. There are elders and there are deacons. Elders are referred to also in scripture as pastors or overseers. Paul used them. Those words are synonymous. They they all reflect the same office, elder, pastor, overseer. And elder pastors are responsible for guiding and guarding the members of the church through biblical teaching and preaching and pace setting and equipping. Because the office of elder pastor overseer carries a degree of authority over the members of the church, God has given this role to qualified men. It isn't that women are incapable of teaching the whole church. There are women here who are probably a better teacher than I am. It's that God has designated this particular role to qualified men. Deacons, also known as servant leaders, helpers, deacons are responsible for supplying strength to areas of need throughout the church. Ensuring that our building is open and clean and welcoming, that our cafe is conducive for fellowship, that our bills are paid, that our kids are kept safe while they hear the word, that our songs are sung in appropriate keys and tempos. Deacons supply strength to areas of need and without deacons, I could be up here preaching all I want. We wouldn't have chairs, we wouldn't have bulletins or lights or sound or music or any of these other things that are very important. I thank God for deacons and I thank God for the qualified men and women who serve as deacons. Woven throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is this clear teaching that God in his infinite wisdom has assigned distinct and complementary roles to men and women. And the gospel not only reminds us of it, the gospel, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that gospel remakes us so that we can joyfully embody what we have been called to. And that is to reflect God's image in our own ways. In the same way that Christ lived a submissive life to the Father, and in the same way that Christ died a sacrificial death to save us, we see in Jesus what we're called to. And we're given by the Holy Spirit, the helper, the help to do it. And we, as Oaks Church in Worcester, desire in our homes, in this church, and out in the community we desire to burn brightly as an ever-present reminder that God's design is as good as it was intentional I think a lot of churches have apologies to make to a very confused world and a very confused next generation where gender really doesn't mean anything other than what we've been physically, biologically assigned, but now even that can be fixed, right? If we could only herald and laud and glow with the absolute joy that it is to be a man and a woman distinctly, dignified reflecting of our good God's image we are not interchangeable we are beautifully and complementarily distinct this is the doctrine of complementarianism that we desire to personify to live into starting here and in our homes We personify complementarianism. We prize election. We participate in congregationalism. We pursue consistency. We prioritize authenticity. We promote simplicity. We permeate on mission. We practice community and we proclaim Jesus. And may we do so again and again and again until his glorious return. Short message today. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, pray again what I prayed toward the beginning of our time. That you would remind us of and revive us for the unique and dignified roles that you've intentionally assigned to us as men and women whose hearts have been cut with the gospel, who have been made alive and remade to live into, to walk in what you designed us for. Because in that space, you are most glorified and we are most filled with joy. Help us to trust you. Lord, I pray that fear might be vanquished. I pray that for those who have experienced the errors that come with gender roles, Lord, would you please help them, provide for them a trusted friend with whom they can speak, and that would include me and the other pastors. Help us to process. It is not God's desire for anyone to be harmed, but to flourish That's what we want to uh, pursue, Lord. We thank you for Christ, that he makes this possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.